ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. So Books of the Year, here comes another one of our Q&As. It's a question-answer session, this time with David Baddiel. His book is Jews Don't Count. If you want to hear our conversation about that book specifically, uh, you can find it from precisely the same place uh, that you got this podcast. Question number one, David. The last book you really, really enjoyed, and as I usually say, the second really is working very hard there because I don't just want a book that you quite enjoyed, but really, and then another really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Okay, Um I'm going to say the book I'm reading now, which I haven't finished. So I don't know if I'm allowed to say that because yes, I yes. might stop enjoying it yeah. halfway through. And I've only read about a third of it. Uh, but it's Fake Accounts by Lauren Olyer. Uh, it's just come out. Yeah. Uh, is that how you pronounce it? Lauren Olyer. Um, and it's yeah. one of, uh, there's quite a few of them knocking about at the moment. There's another one called something like No One Is Talking About This, which has also just come out, uh, of these internet uh, novels. Uh, and something I guess that has been brewed, must have been brewing for ages, which is uh, a kind of millennial culture brought up on the internet, now starting to go to an old media, which is novels, and write about the experience of living your life on the internet. Uh, but I live my life quite a lot of it, certainly since the pandemic, on the internet. And so it just feels to me this novel, which is, I think I can say this as a bit of a spoiler alert. It's about a woman who has a new boyfriend and she thinks he's having an affair and she goes to all his internet, you know, places to try and find out if he's having an affair and then discovers that he's got a secret conspiracy theory life, that he's under an assumed identity is promoting conspiracy theory on Twitter and Instagram and elsewhere, which is a brilliant idea, I think, uh, for a book. But it also just like I think these books are, it's just so unbelievably now in terms of how it talks about the way people think and the vocabulary that they use. It's also really, really funny. It is possible uh, that in these books being so relevant and so immediate that in five years' time it will feel dated. That's possible. But at the moment, I'm just really, really enjoying it. Is, is there a book, David, that stands out from your childhood? And that, that can mean a book that was read to you when you were a child or, or one that you, that you sought out yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, not necessarily in a good way, this. The books that stand out from my childhood by miles and miles and miles are the Billy Bunter books by Frank Richards. I can't name <laughs> one especially. And the reason for that is a weird reason. My whole family was 
weird in many, many ways. As anyone who saw my show, my family, not the sitcom, will know. Yeah. And one of the things that was weird is that my mum uh, used to collect old children's books. This is before she collected golf memorabilia uh, and would press yeah. them on all of us, me and my brothers, these old children's books. And so she sort of pressed all these Billy Bunter books, which were, you know, I'm not that old, were written in the 20s and 30s on me. And I did actually quite like them. I think of them because they were set in this sort of like, you know, amazing crump, trumpet-toasting public school, uh, an experience that I completely didn't have, that they were kind of versions of Hogwarts for me as a kid. But my mother was so obsessive when, once she'd done this sort of thing. Once I started to say, oh, I like these books she would just give more and more and more. So eventually I ended up, I was in the Young Observer. There's a picture of me surrounded by Billy Bunter books. I think I got beaten up quite a lot at school for being in the Young Observer <laughs> with them. I was also in a club called the Old Boys Book Club that celebrates Billy Bunter books. Now, everyone else in that club was 70. I was 11. <laughs> so that was so weird. So, yeah, I used to go to meetings. She would drive me there. Drop me off. I'd sit around with a lot of seventy-year-olds. Think, oh, this is a bit odd, <laughs> and then be picked up by my mum. So, yeah, Billy Bunter is the answer. Okay. Do you have a favourite football book or football biography or autobiography? Yeah, there's probably two. I mean, they're both fairly straightforward. Uh, I mean, the obvious one is Fever Pitch. Uh, Fever Pitch is. Uh, you know, the greatest book about football, I would say. Um, and, you know, ground shifting in the way that people talked about football. It's deeply personal, funny, says everything about being a football fan and shifted the dial, as I say, about how you could talk about football. You didn't, you know, I would say in the 80s before it, you know, it was still a question that no one thoughtful ever talked or wrote really about football um, I mean, I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wrong. Those are people I've now missed out, but that's how it felt to me. Uh, and then Nick wrote that, and it, you know, it meant you could create a whole new way of talking about football. The other book I would say is all played out by Pete Davis, which is came brilliant. out, uh, I think, yes. in 1998, but was the story of Italia '90, yeah. and is unbelievably brilliantly written about that particular tournament. Uh, and again, you know, a ground shifting time in football, and the way Pete Davis talks about it. It just gives you all the kind of emotional sort of narratives that followed that tournament and Gaza crying and, you know, Stuart Pierce missing and everything about it. Uh, so I would say those two books. I think what those two books as well have in common is that they were they were the first sort of football books. I remember being recommended to me by friends saying, finally, there is a book about football that isn't, you know... Yeah for want of a better word, crap. Yeah. This one is really, these ones are really well written. Uh, although, speaking as a Liverpool fan, obviously the Fever Pitch book, I stopped reading before the final chapter. Right, of course. Frankly, you need to hear about a, <laughs> an Arsenal fan moaning about winning trophies. But anyway. <laughs> Good um, point. Uh, be, be, best book written by a comedian, David. Well, I'm not, I'm not allowed to choose any of mine, I assume. Uh, although, obviously, I would, Heartily recommend. No, do it. It'll be like that Desert Island Discs <laughs> where the opera, opera singer says, and another one from well, me. Well, you I say think. that. I chose Three Lions on Desert Island Discs, and I'm still oh, I'm completely I'm sticking with that. Uh, yeah, I did. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not going to go to a desert island and not be able to remember 80,000 people singing my song at Wembley. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm yeah. going to choose I Partridge, which I think is 
more written by wow, the Gibbons yeah. brothers who write for Steve than Steve himself. I'm not sure. Steve probably did write it as well. Um, so you'd have to check the credits of it. But I Partridge, I think, I genuinely think is a masterpiece. I mean, that's absolutely unironic. I think if that was a literary book written like from the point of view of a character, you know, the way that some of Nabokov's books are or whatever, people would understand this is an absolute comic masterpiece. But because it's a TV character and it feels like a TV spin-off book, people say, yeah, it's funny or whatever. But they don't realise it's an unbelievable bit of feat of literary ventriloquism. Hilarious. And also the audiobook's incredible because it's, re- it's read by Steve and it's yeah. just fantastic. Uh, so I would go with that. Just on the subject of Desert Island Discs, if I remember right, Art Garfunkel chose like five tracks by himself. Right. And, and I, I always think maybe you get away with one, which you obviously did, David, but five, I'm yeah. beginning to... No, five I'm is problematic. Less, less of you. Yeah. And then Ian Paisley, Reverend Ian Paisley chose all hymns. That's a, that's a little bit. Not sure. Can you imagine, I mean, I, like being on desert island? I know no one else is. That's the point of it. But with Ian, and and saying well, you didn't choose anything by the Beatles. Well, we've got to listen to to be a pilgrim again. And he said, yes, yes. Um, this, if we were in your house with you or in your study, uh, describe your book collection, David. How is it? How is it arranged? If indeed it is arranged at all, it's not really arranged. I have a lot of books. I have two rooms that are mainly books. Uh, I need to get rid of some, really, but I feel quite uh, conflicted about chucking books out. Um, it's, I would say, it's probably about seventy-eight percent novels. I have a bit of an issue with. I, I once wrote about this uh, that. As I grow older, I feel that I should read more non-fiction. Like, when I'm in a restaurant, I feel the time has come for me to order fish, right? That I'm I'm older and I should order fish. It's the adult choice. And when I order it, it arrives, I always think, oh, I wish I'd had the steak, right? (laughs) And and it's the same with me in sort of like non-fiction, especially biography. I find biography just quite hard Um, and, you know, if you read the Sunday Times books pages, there's often a big biography of, I don't know, Palmerston or someone that's their lead review. And I think, who actually wants to read that? Um, so I like novels. I like a good story. Um, I like very literary novels as well, but, you know, I still want some kind of story. I, As I got older, I do read more essay-ish books, and I've been reading Empire Land by Satnam Sengara, which is really good, I think. Um, but, yeah, the... Um, Book collection is mainly just novels. Uh, and I'll tell you what else there is, is I can see it now in my study. There's a huge row of translated copies of my own children's books. And about half of those, I don't know what the countries are. I'm looking at them now. I'm thinking, what is it, Slovenia? I have no idea. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're all really, really weird hieroglyphics. But I'm still quite proud that they're there. Um, so I, I think we can all agree the next the next question, there is a problem right at the heart of this question. So the question is, what's the book you'd love to step inside of? And the point I would make there is no one wants to read a book where everything's going fabulously well, because how dull would that be? So you want to be reading a book where everything's going wrong. And why would you want to step inside of that? But anyway, that, that said, what is the book, David Baddiel, that you would love to step inside of? I'm afraid... 
this may not be the answer you were after, because I have a book in my toilet called 50 Best Spa Hotels. And <laughs> I mean, certainly at the moment, that is the book I would okay, like to step inside yeah. of, because I've been inside my house, basically, for 18 months. And I really liked, in the old world, travelling to nice hotels. That, that was really something I liked to do. I think we all did. Um, and I sometimes go into that toilet not even needed to go to the toilet and sit and read 50 best spa <laughs> hotels and remember when I was allowed to go to places like that. So that's the book I'd like to... Is there a number one? Is, it, is, it, is there a top spa hotel or is it... Uh, I'm, I'd have to go and get it and that would involve taking my headphones off and stuff like that. I don't really... No, don't to, to be honest with you, I don't read it anymore with any sense. Like in the old days, I might read it thinking, oh yeah, I'll note that down and go there. I don't bother with that anymore. It's purely fantasy and escapism. And look at these pictures and oh yes, I remember when it was like that. Uh, but yes, that's... Finally, David. Yeah. So are, are there any authors you are still yet to meet who you would really like to meet? Um, I've met most of the authors, to be honest with you, uh, certainly British authors, that I, I admire. I've probably met most of them. I My greatest... Uh, love as a, a reader is John Updike, the great American author who sadly is no longer with us. I did go and see him read once and I wasn't able to meet him afterwards because uh, the queue was just too long and I had to go home. So I deeply regret uh, never meeting him. Uh, I'm going to choose Scott Churro. Now, Scott Churro wrote Presumed Innocent, uh, which uh, is a legal thriller that was came out in the 80s and was uh, made into a very successful film with Harrison Ford in it. And I read it at the time and I can't really remember much about it. But then I went back to him recently because something I'm very, very keen on but have found it difficult to find is I like literary novels. That is really, I really, I like Bellow and Roth and Updike in particular and all those people and their modern equivalents, Carol Shields and people like that. I like sentences to be, you know, expertly crafted. But I also like banging plots, really proper stories. And so for a while, I've been searching for crime story, crime novelists, because crime normally means banging stories, but with someone who can write brilliantly at the level of the sentence. And Scott Churro isn't actually straightforwardly a crime writer. He writes legal dramas. He writes courtroom dramas. But he's a really beautiful prose writer. Uh, I mean, really very lovely, very insightful, very complex characterizations and complicated interesting sentences but every story is still basically an itv courtroom drama at the same time and so i really love that combination and i've really got into him i've just read his last not his novel which uh, that he has recurring characters in his novel so uh, the lawyer in presumed innocent is called sandy stern and his last trial is in his last novel which is called the last trial which i've just finished and was is a very beautiful novel so i'd like to meet scott uh, excellent. Um, this has been uh, an extra little bonus podcast featuring uh, David Baddiel. His uh, book, which is out now, is called Jews Don't Count. You can find that interview elsewhere. Uh, David, thank you very much. Appreciate your time, sir. Thank you, Simon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.